did you say you were unemployed for a little bit? Yes, I, yeah. I quit the job where I would call around to medical offices. I just mm-hmm. hated it so much. I just you quit. Couldn't stand it anymore. Yeah, like I didn't have a plan. <laughs> I just said goodbye. Uh huh. And uh, no two week notice, just goodbye. I'm not proud of that, but actually, I am kind of proud of that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Bloomberg Benchmark, a podcast about the global economy. It's Thursday, May 2nd. I'm Aki Ito Bloomberg, joining from San Francisco. Tori today is on her way to Korea and China right now to chase after Treasury Secretary Jack Liu. And Dan is on vacation, but I'm joined by a very special co-host, Saleya Mosin, who's joining us from D.C. Hey, Saleya. Hi, Aki. Hey, so our longtime loyal listeners might remember you, Saleya, from an episode we did back a few months ago about how Norway is just this incredible place for women, how it's gone further than any other country in the world when it comes to gender equality. And back when we recorded that show, you were living in Oslo. You were our economics correspondent there. Since then, you've decided to leave that perfect utopia and come back to the States to be our Treasury Department reporter. Saleya, how's it been back in the States so far? It's been really great, Aki. It's nice to be back home. Although I do have to say that the U.S. has changed a lot in the eight years that I was away. Today's topic is something that was unheard of back in 2008. Oh, awesome. Do you think it's changed for the better or for the worse? Uh, I think we'll know the answer to that at the end of this year. (laughs) Awesome. Well, welcome back. Today, we're going to be talking about a whole new way of working, not just in the U.S., but across the world in what's known as the gig economy. So, you know, you might be a driver for Uber. You might tutor on TaskRabbit. Maybe you'll be a web developer on Upwork. And basically, the Internet's just made it so much easier to connect employers with contractors um, without kind of this 40 hours a week go into the office every day, slowly build up your 401k thing that, Saleya, you and I do, kind of a vestige of the old economy. Yeah, and I've got some stats for you, but the first thing to point out is that there's really no established metric to count independent workers. So the size of the gig economy and its impact is actually hard to measure. There's not a lot of data on things such as how people combine jobs in the gig economy with traditional ones or even how they view their own participation in things like TaskRabbit and Uber. So do they see it as a hobby? Is it full-time or just an extra source of income before they go on vacation or before Christmas? So with that in mind, I've got some wildly different figures to throw at you. So calculations from data from Uber show that those participating in the gig economy make up just 0.4% of the labor force, which is about 600,000 people. But of course, it all depends on how you define these workers. So research that was sponsored by Upworks and Freelancers Union shows that about 54 million Americans have done freelance work in the last year. So those are two very different measures of what we're talking about here. And that that latter number, that includes like traditional freelancers too, right? Um, You know, I think with all new things, it's really difficult to measure. Uh, This is a brave new world. I think both its benefits and its drawbacks are really interesting here. So we decided to invite a freelancer to join us and give us a peek into his everyday life. Danny Margulies is joining us here in our San Francisco studio. Danny, how's it going? Good, thanks. Uh, It's great to be here. Danny, tell us what you do. So I am a freelancer. I started out on Upwork uh, in 2012. 
I had never heard of freelancing before. Uh, it seemed like a cool thing to do, and uh, so I just started applying to some jobs, and then I ended up building a career out of this. So today, I'm a freelance copywriter, and I've also started my own website and my own business, so I'm a client as well now. Danny, tell us what Upwork is for our listeners who've never heard it before. Yeah, Upwork is a platform where a freelancer, you know, whether you're a new freelancer or a seasoned freelancer, you can log in, create an account for free, and you can go ahead and connect with clients. So it's almost like, you know, if you think of like Craigslist meets eBay or something like that, for lack of a, a, a better analogy, um, you know, you see these jobs, they're posted, and a client might say, hey, I want somebody to uh, rewrite my homepage, or I need somebody to write five emails that we're gonna send out to customers, or I need someone to design a logo. And you can apply to that job uh, in a very quick fashion without a lot of red tape. So who are some of your clients? So my clients are primarily uh, business people, business people, entrepreneurs, uh, some people with small businesses, growing businesses. Uh, just about 100% of my clients have been some kind of business or entrepreneur. Awesome. And you just write anything that they need to be written. Yeah, I, right? I try and keep it pretty general to where if uh, if a business needs something written, whether it be a brochure or something for their website, or in certain cases, it could be a slogan, uh, or in some cases, they might want help with some kind of marketing strategy. I've built up those skills as well, so I can help with that too. So before you got started in this you know, new economy, so to speak, what were you doing before that? Before that, I had the worst job on earth. <laughs> I would go to an office every day, and I would pick up the phone and I would call around to medical facilities and I would request medical records for uh, someone who'd applied for life insurance. Uh, it was extremely boring. Uh, uh -huh. It did not pay particularly well. Yeah, and I had a few kind of uh, non-career kind of jobs before that. In the years before that, I was a telephone interviewer at the Gallup organization. Uh, again, kind of mind-numbing work. Mm -hmm. Great company, but mind-numbing work nonetheless. And I worked at a car dealership for like eight months. Okay. And uh, yeah, so just a, a bunch of kind of non-career jobs before that really didn't have much of a career path. And up, Upwork kind of helped me focus that. So before 2012, you were kind of in these traditional jobs. And then in 2012, did you say you were unemployed for a little bit? Yes. I, yeah. I quit the job where I would call around to medical offices. I just mm -hmm. hated it so much. I just you quit. You couldn't stand it anymore. Yeah. Like I didn't have a plan. <laughs> I just said goodbye. Uh-huh. And uh, no two-week notice, just goodbye. I'm not proud of that, but actually I am kind of proud of that. Um, <laughs> and I went home and I, I just, you know, I said to myself, like, there's got to be something else out there. I, I took my laptop, I pointed it away from my wife, and I Googled how to make money writing because I knew she was going to think that I was crazy because I'd never written anything before. Uh -huh. And then, you know, I found Upwork and one thing led to another. Cool. So where do you, you know, where do you usually work from? You, when you came into our San Francisco studio today, you saw our office here, you know, our open, uh, open desk layout. You walked through our snack pantry. Um, where do you usually work from? I usually work from a home office. So when I first started, uh, my wife and I had uh, just a two-bedroom apartment, and I would work in like a corner of the <laughs> corner of our dining room, and then uh, that was fine when I first started. And then once it became obvious that this was going to be a really viable income source, uh, we just decided to move to a bigger place. Now I have a home office that I work out of. Awesome. And what's a typical day look like for you? 
So I wake up, um, you know, check my email. Usually get a lot of emails these days from freelancers or aspiring freelancers who have questions and they're trying to, you know, look for tips on how to get started. Um, and then, you know, of course, uh, when I'm working with clients, these days I don't work with clients as much uh, as I did several years ago, but I still do. So I'll check all my emails, check all my messages. Um, you know, usually just sort of plan my day out pretty quickly. You know, if you're writing for a living, it's not something that you can do for like eight or 10 or 12 hours a day. So I need to do that in the morning, mm -hmm. um, you know, while my creative energy is kind of at its peak and, you know, I've so had a lot of So that's when you're billing. Yeah, yeah, doing billable work. I'll always do billable work in the morning, uh, especially because, you know, I believe in giving clients my best time. And then once that's done, then I'll go ahead and move to my blog um, or my online course, uh, you know, customer service emails. You know, I kind of wear a lot of different hats. But yeah, I'll usually spend, um, you know, anywhere from two to four hours doing work with clients if I'm doing work with clients in that period. Yeah. And then I'll move to my blog after that. So, you know, I try and keep things mixed up and fresh. And can you give us a sense of how much you earn, either how much you charge per hour or on a monthly or annual basis? Sure, absolutely. So my first year on Upwork, I earned about $50,000 in my first full year. So that would be um, 2013. And then in 2014, just from my Upwork earnings, uh, I managed to earn uh, just about $115,000 in, in revenue. And then I added another income source at that point, which is my online business. So I you know, have a course and a blog. So that takes up uh, some of my time there and that business in the past 12 months has has brought in uh, just just about a quarter million dollars in revenue Wow, and, and I, I feel like I would not have had that opportunity without Upwork because I was learning all the skills I use in my business I learned as a freelancer. Yeah. So it's really been this kind of you know awesome kind of progression That's great. And you I think you said that you were billing around $150 an hour. Is that right? Yeah, so I actually just took uh, I just took on a new client at actually $250 an hour. Wow. Yeah, which is to me <laughs> just amazing. yeah, it's awesome. But um, for the just about the entire 2014 and 2015 period, uh, every client I billed was uh, around the $125 to $135 an hour range. Amazing. Well, Danny, clearly you've got a great thing going here. Uh, we're going to take a short break and then we're going to launch into kind of the pros and the cons of this kind of freelancing work for both you and the broader labor market. Sounds great. Can't wait. So Danny, you are clearly doing something that you are good at and that you enjoy. And from what I have heard, you also teach people how to be successful as freelancers. But I have to ask, if a company came to you and said, we will give you as much as you're earning now, come work for us, would you go for a more traditional full-time job? I, that's a great question. I want to point out that that has happened several times. So I've worked with well over 80 clients throughout my kind of quote unquote uh, online freelancing career. And many of them have come to me, especially as they've grown, they've come to me and said, hey, would you consider working for us full time? Um, you know, we'll compensate you relative to what you're earning now and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I've had to turn them down every time. And the main reason why, I mean, there's a lot of reasons. Number one, I'm really enjoying it. I get to work with a diverse, you know, diverse clientele, different businesses, keeps you really fresh. 
Um, you know, one day I might be writing about a consumer product. The, the next day I might be helping someone with strategy on a, a business-to-business product or service. Uh, so that's one thing. The other thing is the security. So when most people think of freelancing, they think of something not secure, right? Because you don't have a job and you don't go to an office every day. It kind of maybe doesn't feel secure or look secure to the untrained eye. But once you get into it, it's actually more secure. Because if I'm working with 10 clients, which is not unheard of or unrealistic, and one of them goes out of business or even fires me or you know outgrows me or what have you, that's only a 10% income hit that I take that day. And 90% of my income remains intact. And not only that, but it's actually relatively easy thanks to sites like Upwork, fire up my laptop and go and find a new client. I could replace them in a matter of days or you know, maybe a week or so versus if you lose your job at a traditional job. Yeah, you know, if whether, I lose, if Bloomberg decides to fire me tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then it's 100% of my income in that, in that case would be gone. And it's, it could be really hard to find a new job, especially if someone earning a significant amount of money, that could be a week's or months or even longer job search. So I feel like, to me, it's a no-brainer to continue freelancing. Yeah. And and Danny, you have two kids, is that right? Yeah, I have a six-year-old uh, boy and a three-year-old uh-huh. boy. Yeah, sounds like a handful. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I bet it's it's a good thing that you get to kind of structure your own work day, too, to have this flexibility. It's amazing, yeah, because there's never a time, you know, like if, you know, with kids, things are always changing and there's always some activity to go to. And there's never a time when I have to say, or I would say very rarely a time when I would have to say, sorry, I can't be there to go to a soccer game or, uh, you know, sorry, I have to work all day Saturday. We can't hang out. It does happen, uh, you know, just like anything else, things come up in freelancing. But for the most part, I'm able to it, it helps me be a great dad. Yeah. And connecting this to the broader labor market, one of the things that's really amazing to me is that you don't have to be in the same location as your employer. So, for example, San Francisco here, the tech boom is generating tons and tons of jobs, but you're not seeing that in most other cities, let's say like Detroit. But a lot of people can't just like pack up their whole house and drive across the country and find a new place to live and find a new school for their kids, especially in as expensive of a place like the Bay Area here. So they end up, you know, they stay unemployed for a while because they can't find any local jobs. And in the meantime, these companies that do need workers, their openings go unfilled. No one wins. Yeah, but when there's work that you can do remotely, companies all of a sudden aren't restricted by location. So they can find the best workers for the job. And I have to say that that's probably more productive for an economy. Right. And, you know, I think that's why your story, Danny, is so amazing. You know, you were unemployed back in 2012. You could have just stayed there, you know, but instead you went on the Internet and now you have clients across the country, maybe even across the world. Yeah, I have clients on six continents and uh, uh, many of my clients are actually from the Bay Area, including one very well-known VC funded education company. Um, You know, and so so they're they're looking around, too, you know, and they they like you said, they don't want to be restricted by location. They just want someone who's a good fit. And uh, a site like Upwork really allows them to, you know, just very quickly get exposed to a lot of different talent. Danny, you might have convinced some of our listeners to quit their full-time jobs and become their own bosses. (laughs) But I have to ask, do you have any warnings or words of wisdom about the potential pitfalls of this kind of on-demand work? Sure. Yeah. I mean, just like anything else, um, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's pros and cons to everything. And the, to me, the good and the bad in, 
uh, this online freelancing world, if you're a freelancer or an aspiring freelancer, the good and the bad are kind of mixed together. So for example, uh, there's not a lot of structure. So that's great because you can be a great dad or enjoy your free time. Some people travel uh, while they're working, but it's also kind of one of the challenges as well is that there's no structure. So you have to learn how to create some structure because nobody can work without structure. Um, another thing is you're the boss. So when you go to work, generally, you know, as an employee, you're generally an employee and you can run things by somebody and get help and get all kinds of feedback. You can do that from your clients as a freelancer. I can go to my client and say, hey, I have this idea and, you know, I want to run it by you, get some quick feedback on it. And that's a great way to work. But there's usually often nobody giving you direct orders. You know, you have to take a leadership role because you're your own boss. So and you're you, don't, the, you don't have coworkers either. Exactly. And I mean, in, and in some cases, a client will hire me and they'll hire other freelancers and we'll work a bit as a team. But you really just have to get good at understanding that you are the boss and the employee mm -hmm. and the client is the customer. The client is not the boss. It's not the person you can go to and say, give me my marching orders. In some cases, it might work that way, but you always have to be prepared to take the reins, take a leadership role, be an expert and say to the client, here's what I recommend which is often a 180 from, you know, some of us coming from the corporate world, what we're used to. Right. And you have to pay for your own health care, right? Out of pocket. Yeah, I, I and I, yeah, exactly. And I do. Fortunately, uh, you know, thanks to Upwork, I've really we've been, you know, been able to find so many clients where my income is healthy. And so I'm able to purchase my own health insurance. And I urge people who are listening to this who may be considering freelancing, think about how much you're charging. You know, you might make twenty five dollars an hour at work but you want to aim for at least twice that as a freelancer. It doesn't have to be on your first day, yeah. but you want to you be able to say, okay, as a freelancer, I have to charge at least two times, and in many cases more, to be able to cover all your expenses. That's something people should keep in mind. Um, but what are you doing for retirement? I mean, at Bloomberg, Aki and I get matched for a 1K. Right, so um, fortunately, there are great options for retirement accounts for self-employed individuals. And, you know, if you, if, especially for people over a certain income threshold, there's opportunities to put very large sums of money into a 401k. But you're 100% right. I mean, nobody's going to match my 401k because there's nobody to match it. Right. And generally, when you're classified as a contractor and not an employee, you're not entitled to all kinds of things. You know, health care, retirement, that's like some of the benefits. But, you know, you're also not entitled to like overtime pay. You're not guaranteed a minimum wage. You don't get unemployment benefits meal breaks, that kind of thing. Um, so Uber just in April settled a pair of class action lawsuits, um, and the company is going to end up paying as much as $100 million. But it was kind of a victory for them because they're going to be able to retain the right to continue classifying its drivers as contractors and not employees. So that means they're going to be able to continue to keep costs pretty low. So Tori, who is our co-host who is now on her way to South Korea. She wrote a great story about how the gig economy is growing the chasm between winners and losers. Yeah, and she spoke to Larry Katz, who's probably one of the best-known labor economists in the world who's been doing some research in this topic. So, Leia, what did, uh, what did Larry Katz tell Tori? So, Larry is an economics professor at Harvard, and he teamed up with Princeton University's Alan Kruger. 
Um, what Larry pointed out was that there used to be more integration at companies like General Motors and old banks. And they not only gave good pay to their managers and engineers and skilled workers, but they also paid a premium to other support staff like janitors and clerical workers who were just as important. But now those jobs are actually being outsourced to temporary agencies that don't offer employment benefits or decent wages. So all of this has contributed to the widening inequality, which you could say is fueling vo voter anxiety in an already pretty wild election year. Yeah. And so basically, like people like you, Danny, you're fine, you know, probably doing even better than you would otherwise, because, you know, your skills as a copywriter are very much in high demand. But you really do hear these horror stories of people working for a lot less than you do in these unskilled jobs. For example, these Uber drivers getting their rates cut more and more. I was going to say. This is one thing I love about a site like Upwork is they're not restricting you to charging a certain amount. So if your costs are a certain amount, your cost of living is a certain amount, if you have an in-demand skill, uh, you know, and what I always encourage people to do is we, you know, I always say we, we can't control the market, right? As an individual, I can't control labor trends that are bigger than any one of us, bigger than even a company like this. What we can control is, hey, what's in demand right now? Can I learn it? Sites like Udemy, there's uh, all kinds of uh, education sites like Udemy, even on YouTube, um, even on uh, uh, blogs in many cases, you can go and learn skills. You know, if you take the skill of copywriting, a janitor can learn that skill. That's one of the things I love about it. Anyone can learn this skill, and it doesn't have to take very long. It took me two days to break in because we've all been writing since we were in grade school. Again, the good is mixed with the bad. You know, everything you're saying about the trends and displacing people in certain roles, that's, that's obviously 100% true. The good news is these opportunities are open to anyone if they're willing to learn. And But you do have to have like a base skill. I mean, when we first started talking, you were incredibly organized. You're like one of the most organized people I've ever talked to. You know, you're clear, you're a good communicator. Obviously, you have good writing skills. And not everyone has those those high skills that are very much in demand in today's um, labor market, I think. So that's true. I will urge you to keep in mind I'm a college dropout. I went to college for two weeks. Mm. I went to work as a, a waiter in a restaurant after that. Throughout my 30s, I was just, uh, it was like between dead-end jobs and unemployed. I mean, people had me counted out, right? People would say, oh, Danny, he's that sad story. He had a lot of potential, but he never educated himself. He didn't do anything. I learned everything that I know on the job, on, on the freelancing side. Mm -hmm. Because that's when you're, you know, I was kind of thrown into the deep end and it was the first time I realized, hey, I can control my destiny. I don't have to worry about college. I don't have to raise my hand and wait to be picked by a publisher. If I want to write something, I can just start a blog and promote it. Uh, so a lot of this was really just developed in the last four years. I, I don't think you would have been quite as impressed if you and I had met in uh, about 2010. <laughs> it seems to have worked out pretty well for you, but I'm a little bit of a cynic. So I have to wonder whether these bigger companies that a lot of non-traditional workers work for, including yourself, they are trying to avoid paying workers and sidestepping healthcare and training and office space. I wonder if platforms like Upworks are actually feeding into this and working, paying for workers only when they need them. Yeah, and it definitely kind of feels like just one more stage in this very, very long trend of, you know, risk shifting more and more from companies to workers, from, you know, the government to individuals. 
And I have to say the backdrop of this whole concept is interesting too. Policymakers all the way from the Fed and the White House across the country have fought hard to get unemployment down over the last 10 years. And you can see in election campaigns that people want job creation, but they also want jobs with flexibility. But Aki, what do you make of all this? What's our conclusion then? Okay, so, you know, first of all, I think that clearly these, you know, platforms are providing a very valuable service to both employers and workers. Um, You know, Danny's case, I think, is a really good example of someone succeeding when they weren't succeeding in the traditional labor market. And these platforms wouldn't be as big as they are now if they weren't successful in providing that service. At the same time, I am really glad that a lot of smart economists are starting to look into this it does feel like a very big shift and there can be a lot of unintended consequences when you're seeing um, the labor market change so quickly and I really hope that their research feeds into um, helps inform these uh, labor regulations that we have set up now because it does feel like the current regulations are set up for the old economy instead of um, you know for the new economy that we're starting to see now. Well, Danny, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It was great being here. Thanks again for listening to Bloomberg Benchmark. We're going to be back again next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal and on Bloomberg.com, also on iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, Google Play. And while you're there, please take a minute to rate and review our show so more listeners can find us. And let us know what you thought of the show. You can find us on Twitter at AkiIto7. I'm available at at S-A-L-E-H-A-M-O-H-S-I-N or email our producer at A-M-C-C-A-B-E at Bloomberg.net. And check out our awesome new show called Material World. It looks at what we buy and what that says about us. Thanks for listening. See you next week.